15 minutes, might get 15 minutes with a decision maker to tell them who Olive Crest is, what we do, how we can be of service, and why I need from them some time, talent, or treasure to help to be of service to the people in our philanthropic organization. So I look at the persuasive presentation as a very small, very tight part of that introductory process that inspires people to want to have a deeper conversation. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Now, that was Terry Shodine. She's the founder of Shodine Communications and author of a new research report titled The State of Sales Presentations 2020. And Terry's joining me today on Sales Enablement, episode 796, to have a conversation about what are the common sales presentation mistakes professionals make most often in today's market. And as Terry and I get into it, you know, the world has changed just a little bit, even after she had finished this research. The net effect is that the relevance and importance of many of the recommendations that she makes for sellers have been actually amplified by the pandemic. So we'll talk about the nine common mistakes that sales presenters really have made forever. I mean, Terry first made her list of these back almost 20 years ago. And we'll also talk about the three new common mistakes she's found, largely driven by an over-reliance on technology and a failure to connect with the audience on a human level. And we'll dive into a really interesting finding in her research that the amount of product training a seller receives is sort of in direct proportion to the number of presentation mistakes that they make. And there's a good, very good reason for that, so be sure to check that part out. So all this and much, much more. But before we get to Terry, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thanks. And also, lastly, if you haven't already connected with me on LinkedIn, please do. That's at linkedin.com slash in slash Paul. All right, let's jump into it. Terry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andy, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. A pleasure to have you here. So where are you sheltering in place? Sheltering in place from beautiful Newport Beach, California. I'm a SoCal girl. Yeah, Newport Beach. Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah, you, you spent some time in San Diego. I did. I'm a San Diego State University uh, speech communication grad. Go Aztecs for <laughs> all the alum out there. Uh, so very fortunate to grow up in Southern California and, you know, work. I went there because they had one of the top speech and debate teams in the country. So it was a great program, great school, and loved loved being part of that curriculum. Yeah. And so what what are things like, yeah, I'm in Manhattan, so it's, you know, sort of dense pack, but the streets are eerily empty. What are things like uh, in Orange County? Yeah, so my office is located on Balboa Island, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, in a, kind of like a little sub area of Newport Beach. And they literally shut down the island. So it was barricaded uh, unless you were a resident or had uh, an opportunity letter that gave you as an essential business to show up. And so, you know, you kind of park and it was just so quiet. So with spring break and this beautiful weather that we've been having, normally it would be just jam packed with people. and. It's like a ghost town, so it's a little eerie. Yeah, it is. So, <laughs> yeah, I know we're we're taking steps. I know here in New York and in California, uh, to step by step. So, yeah, hopefully before too long, we we can be back to somewhat whatever normal is going to be next. Not sure what that is, but uh, <laughs> we'll be back to something like that. 
I know we're all doing exactly what you and I are doing, right? Which is just trying to stay connected and keep things moving forward in spite of this kind of shelter in, in place experience. And it's, it's crazy. It's like the twilight zone, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, and be safe when we go out. I think that's, that's, uh, you know, my wife has a lot of colleagues who are, um, physicians on the front line here in, in New York and, and she asked one who works in the ICU with COVID patients, so what's the, what could she could do for her? And she said, well, just make sure no one else comes to the hospital. So wear the masks, be careful. Um, that's what doctors and nurses want. So they want no more patients coming in. If we can help them with that, perfect. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So you've, you've written a report. Actually, mm. it's called the State of Sales Presentation 2020. Sort of an update, it seems like a little bit of something you had done a number of years ago. And um, yes, it's interesting because yeah, sales presentation is now taking on a, a, a different meaning to some degree here in the environment or working more remotely. I mean, suddenly, if you're accustomed to being in front of the, the customer, you could see the body language, you could see their faces in a way, you know, making that presentation, you had that immediate feedback. You know, we're entering an era where you sort of have less of that, for sure. But uh, to your point of report and so on, is it still some of the mistakes and common mistakes people make in making presentations still still exist regardless of the medium? Absolutely. And I think all things are evolving. So ultimately, exploring what makes a winning presentation is a passion and a mandate for all of us at Shoding Communications as we kind of consult sales organizations on how to expand their reach while adapting to an ever-changing marketplace. And so, well, one of our evolutionary steps was to kind of revisit a research study that I did, oh my gosh, believe it or not, almost 20 years ago. So uh, I launched a national study to ask this question, are the original nine mistakes that we identified in back in the early 2000s, are, they, are those nine biggest sales presentation mistakes still happening? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Were there mistakes that had fallen off the list? Were there new things that were added? And what could we learn? What could we gain from that reflection? And so it started out as a small pilot study, and then it grew to a formal research project that I did in combination with a PhD and the head of the communications department at San Diego State University. And how we gathered the data, what made it so much more significant is that I really made a commitment to this theory of no research about us without us. So I only garnered the data from business and sales professionals whose livelihood is dependent on their ability to build and deliver a persuasive presentation that generates results. Mm. And we carved out this data from people who either sell a product or a service or a cause, and it was also cross-generational. So the data that we pulled over this 18-month period was not only, I think, incredibly relevant, but just super fascinating because we had so many different dynamics that we were able to look at. Yeah, and and of that, though, and it seemed like, as I looked at the numbers, is roughly, yeah, let's say two-thirds to three-quarters of the people who responded were you know, frequently making in-person presentations. Uh, we, so we asked uh, the questions, do you make your presentations over the telephone, uh, in person, one-on-one, uh, in small groups or large groups? So we kind of did a, a wider swath. The essence or the through line was always based on, is your intention 
to be persuasive, to ask somebody to make a decision as a result of your message versus somebody who is maybe just doing like an informational call or an informational presentation. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was really focused on what is their intention. Yeah. So the the presentation is your point. We're more, more about later in the sales cycle as opposed to, hey, today on a SaaS company, we're going to call up, first call, can we get you signed up for a demo? Use that as sort of a qualification tool. Here we're talking more about perhaps a bake-off presentation, final final meeting where decisions will be made as a result of it. Again, some of the calls, great question, uh, by the way. So some of the people that we work with uh, do not have long sales cycles. Some had shorter sales cycles. So we did take that into consideration. Uh, you know, is it a one or two call opportunity? Is it a consistent where you're just kind of touching back on an existing client base? And then some of the people came from, you know, my responsibility is to generate new business. And then, of course, I have to maintain business. And then I'm also doing a deeper dive. So it it really was quite varied. We have over 2,500 participants representing kind of uh, a larger swath, but always just in this specific vein, which is how it relates to the art form, if you will, or your presentation portion of the presentation. Right. And so these these responses you gathered, these were all self-reported by the respondents themselves. Right. So when I know the question was like, look, if I asked you in the course of your, you know, incredible career, Andy, you know, if you ever lost a big deal or a win or an opportunity and you had to self-reflect, what do you think the things were that you feel like cost you that opportunity? And so ultimately what people surfaced were the things that we can all learn from each other. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I just drafted this report so that we could learn with each other and from each other what some of the best practices are? And, you know, ultimately through that research sharing process, then we as an industry all benefit and we can go and we can be humble enough when (laughs) we can say, yeah, I've done that, right? Like, oh my gosh, I've done that. So I think there's, that's fun. (laughs) Yeah, I thought. I thought. <laughs> speaking of humility, yeah, I think one of the <laughs> one of the um, you know through lines, perhaps, of this was when you look at the summary of responses and so on, was that yeah, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as you are. No, that was one of the things. Like, okay, so on average um, of the overall list, people typically self-reported making three mistakes of this kind of overall list. Uh, And I think that when we shared the results back, uh, whether it was internally within a company or when we gave the the complete overall report, you know, people said, yeah, you know, that was one of the, when we talked about the top three or the biggest three, uh, people said, yeah, I do that. Or, oh my gosh, uh, I only did three. A lot of people other check the boxes of like nine. And then I think the bigger responses were when our VPs of sales or the, the people who were in leadership said, I just can't believe our salespeople confessed these things to you. And I said, well, they confessed it because it was anonymous. <laughs> but more importantly, because I think they knew that if they were being honest and other people were being honest, then we'd get real data. And then that's how we fix things. I mean, that's... Yeah. Well, but my point was, is, is and because this was reported in, in your report, is that the respondents always felt that someone was doing worse than they were. No matter how bad they were, the other people were doing worse. And I thought that's sort of an interesting reflection of sales psychology. I think as we kind of get into some of those things, you're going to go, oh my gosh, that's funny. I mean, there's just some really funny things. So for example, one of the issues that we asked was not only to have people self-report, but just from an observation uh, perspective, 
if salespeople were asked, what mistakes do you see other salespeople making? And the number one mistake that (laughs) most sales professionals said that they saw in other sales professionals was that their presentations were boring, 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 which we can all go, oh yeah, we've all sat through a hideously boring sales presentation. And yet boring, boring, boring didn't even come up on the top three of the self-reported mistakes. So I think it's hilarious that people go, um, other people are boring, but I'm incredibly informative. Like, <laughs> it's just like, there's just all these funny moments. Yeah, as as since these are self-reported responses, it's like, that's said, it's sort of a unique window into perspective of salespeople's or salespeople's perspective on things because, yeah, I, I'm maybe not good, but everybody else is worse or... Yeah, my my stuff's not boring. They're boring. I'm not boring. Um, and it's I, I bring it up because it's you know this is one of the things this this intellectual humility that salespeople really need to have and too often is lacking in order to <laughs> say, look, I can get better. But if they think that everybody else is boring, but they're not, it's chances are, yeah, we probably all have that that tendency perhaps to to be less informative than we think. Sure. And if we look at it from a scientific standpoint, like, like, let's just look at the data, not to pick on anyone, because that was really never my intention. But I was very curious, like, why is there this disconnect? Uh, and what we ultimately found was that with all of the sales training and development that is out there, with all of the different processes, over 60% of the study participants reported receiving little to no presentation skills training over the course of their careers, not just in that company that they're with, mm-hmm. but over the course of their careers. So when we dug a little deeper, we found that, yes, there's a great deal of, of training that's provided either in product knowledge or industry knowledge, but very little in terms of focusing on the art form to deliver that content in a way that does create connection and helps you to get it, get the message across efficiently and effectively. And then also, of course, to you know, create those winning opportunities for both the presenter and the listener. So there was a lot of really, I think, just meaty, helpful data that crosses over uh, generation, product service, or cause in, in lots of different ways. So yeah, let me know what you want to dig into. I'll help. I'll be happy to share some of the nuggets. <laughs> sure. Well, we will. So, so it's a sort of overlaps with, you know, very renewed emphasis over the last handful of years about storytelling, and and you know you can sort of see storytelling sort of woven into some of the some of the mistakes, but not explicitly called out. So, how what's missing there? Why why isn't this ability to tell a story one of the mistakes? So when you look at how to craft a logical, persuasive presentation, there are three benchmarks that we always consider. The first benchmark is, what is your case? Now, you have to remember my background's in speech and debate. So um, I'm always looking at an overall presentation through this lens of case, creativity, and delivery. So when you're looking at someone's case points, their talking points, you're saying, what is it you're trying to prove or say? What is the evidence to support that? Like, what is the evidence? What are the numbers? Where's the logical analytics to support what it is that you're driving? The second component is your your creativity. That that is where the storytelling would live. Storytelling lives under the house of creativity. It's how you then take some of that, those case points, those arguments, that data, the evidence that lives in case, and you bring it to life under that house of creativity. It's In creativity, we're not just trying to tell a story. The story has to have meaning. How many of us have been to a cocktail party 
where somebody's telling a story and you're like, where are they going with this? So mm-hmm. uh, how do we make that story have direct meaning that's tied to the science or evidence of our case points? And then the third piece of that, which does kind of tie in, but is also separated out, is that element of delivery. You know, are you speaking in your own authentic voice? And are you a great storyteller? That has a lot to do with uh, everything from your visual aids to where you drop in uh, your anecdotes, your humor, your drama, your colloquialisms, your personality. That all lives in the house of delivery. So uh, totally agree that storytelling is a piece of it. But if we're looking at the overall structure of what makes a dynamic and persuasive presentation, it's really a very small piece of a bigger puzzle, which is tied to that case, again, creativity and delivery. Mm-hmm. Well, the number one mistake that you have on your list and I, is winging it. So getting back to this point about storytelling and so on is, is lack of preparation is going to kill your chances of having a successful presentation. Right. So, and with, for sales professionals, for those of us who make our living in sales, you know, you have to do the best that you can with the amount of time that you've been, you know, you've been given. So sometimes we have a lot of prep time and sometimes we're just presenting on the fly. So what I love about my kind of my background in training and speech and debate is debate is really about sound bites, sound bites, sound bites, sound bites. Like how do you craft a logical persuasive message in the shortest shortest period of time. So we use a framework that if you imagine it can be expanded or contracted based on how much time you have to share that message. So think of it like an accordion, right? So if I, how many of us have gone into a meeting and we thought we had 30 minutes to deliver a presentation or have a meeting and then the decision maker says, oh my gosh, I've got a lot on my plate. Can we do this in about 15 minutes? And so using a more flexible structure gives you that capability to still hit all those uh, salient and important talking points, but to contract the message and still hit those talking points, still storytell, still pivot, still convert in a shorter period of time. And I, and I think that's where it gets fun. But again, you have to know, you have to know all of the basics before we get into this place of pivoting your messaging to adapt to time and circumstances and let alone now when we're trying to pivot to video platforms and video technology. Yeah. So let's go back to the the role of the presentation itself, because there is some difference of opinion about how important these sort of final sales presentations are, or even how relevant they are. I mean, I know my experiences is, you know, fewer and fewer companies are finding themselves in that situation where they have to do sort of this final bake-off in my experience, when I was selling, yeah, we had to do it all the time. But is is it still as relevant? And really, what's the objective at that point? I mean, you talk about a logical, persuasive, but is it how persuasive do you really need to be? I mean, if I sometimes find, if, and this is a mistake that I see people make, is they get in these presentations and they're introducing new information, um, which should have been covered earlier in the selling process which then creates a whole other set of issues that need to be dealt with. But just in your opinion, what's, what's really the, the purpose of that? I, such a great question. And the answer is that depends. It depends on where you are, right? So if I'm, if I'm a CEO and I'm launching an IPO on Wall Street, I might get a total of seven minutes all in to make a presentation, right? So sure. you're doing the best you can to know as much as you can before you walk in the door but then you're doing this like seven minutes, you're doing a Q&A and you're out because the next person's on your tail, right? So 
that would be a presentation scenario where you better have a pretty tight presentation. You are not sitting down doing an exploratory Q&A at that point. It's not yeah. a conversation. The conversation comes after. Yeah. So in a sales environment, though, we could, you know, product, service, whatever, one of the three dimensions that you talked about is, yeah, you get to that. Yeah, I find not many. I find that increasingly see sort of these early stage demos slash presentations people make, which I said earlier, sort of qualifying tools. Yeah, that's and again, that's a demo scenario. But for example, um, I'll give you. I can give you like five, five or six different examples. Just sure. depends on where you are. But uh, let's pretend. Um, let's go. We'll do one of each. We've got case. Um, sorry, we've got a product or a service or a cause. Depending where you are and what your company does. For example, if I'm selling a product and I am a um, I am a vendor for a large uh, designing uh, tool system or uh, product, like everything from uh, drapery to wall coverings to floor coverings, uh, and I'm going to have an opportunity to present to uh, multiple interior designers. There's 20 humans in the room. I might get 20 minutes to make an overall general presentation. And my conversion at the end of that talk is to then go have the opportunity to meet with each of those individuals one-on-one to do a deeper dive. So that's more of an introduction of who you are, how you can be of service, why do they need to meet with you, and creating a sense of urgency for that next appointment time. And the objective, of course, is that you're not going to you're not going to score a touchdown on every play, but your goal is to advance the ball. So that would be presentation opportunity number one. Um, Another Mm -hmm. opportunity would be, for example, if I'm a lending professional, I'm in title, I sell termite services, whatever it is that facilitates, let's say, a real estate transaction. I might be invited to speak for seven minutes at the weekly sales meeting of a group of realtors. So Again, what are you going to do in that you know, five to seven minutes in a room full of realtors to have them then follow up with you to meet with you to do a deeper dive on your mortgage banking needs, on your title needs, on your termite needs? Mm-hmm. And then on philanthropy, uh, let's say I am a trustee for Olivecrest and we are trying to garner uh, fundraising opportunities uh or, or partnerships from corporations and associations locally. I might get 15 minutes, might get 15 minutes with a decision maker to tell them who Olive Crest is, what we do, how we can be of service, and why I need from them uh, some time, talent, or treasure to help to be of service to the people in our philanthropic organization. So I look at the persuasive presentation as a uh, a very small, very tight part of that introductory process that inspires people to want to have a deeper conversation so that then you can go into those other pieces of the process as one option. And then, of course, there's multiple presentations along the way. But all of those are just so highly dependent on verbal communication skills. And and we're not spending a ton of time in this art form to really uh, do an elegant, beautiful uh, conversation starting dialogue that intrigues people and wants them, makes, helps them to want to hear more. Yeah, well, I think one of the, the key points from the report, for me at least, was to the point you just made, is that the, what you call a, a presentation, or you're saying mistakes made within presentations are really mistakes that get made just in 
conversations and sales inter- basic sales interactions. It could be on a one-on-one presentation or conversation, or it could be, hey, a one-to-many. But you know, winging it, being too informative versus persuasive, misusing a lot of time, so go down the list of nine, they all apply equally as well in just this one-on-one thing that we're having with a, a, a buyer. Absolutely agreed. Couldn't agree with you more. And you know that the to your point exactly, the misnomer about the words public speaking or presentation skills is that people think it means you're speaking to a large group. Mm-hmm. The size of the audience is irrelevant. The most significant presentations typically p- take place one-on-one or small group. But does that mean that your verbal communication skills are any less significant? No. And we think, oh, I've been speaking since I was two. It's not a big deal. But just like anything, you have to practice to find the right words, to to finesse your languaging, to to beautifully tell a story in the context of your message. You know, that it's all dependent on verbal communication skills, presenting, and that communication aspect that we think, oh gosh, I've been doing this since I was two. I don't have to practice. But this is how the study results just identify what the pain points look like when you don't really practice, I guess is really to your point. Yeah, or you don't learn from your learn from your experience. I mean, this is you talk about somebody being boring, boring, boring. Yeah, how many <laughs> how many times do you need to be boring before you begin to understand that, hey, I'm not converting any of these. We're not closing any deals off these opportunities that we're making these presentations or having these interactions. Hmm. Why is that? Yeah. And it, one of those painful aha moments can come from a simple practice session, you know, it doesn't even take that much uh, technology anymore. You could bust out your iPhone, your cell phone, whatever, and just do a role play with your spouse while you're sitting at home at secure at home status and just have your spouse or significant other, or even your kids listen to you do a role play and then just listen to the playback. And, you know, sometimes I think people just go, Oh my gosh, I just didn't really think about what that sounds like. To someone yeah. else. Well, in some cases, yeah, I find useful is, is write it down, right? If, if go ahead and script it initially, right? You don't say you're not going to read from a script, but when you write it down, you force yourself to say, okay, do I have a story? Do I have a through line, a logic line that that flows here? They even make sense. Yes. And this is why because things always come out differently when you're trying to explain it versus when you say, okay, to write it down, I have to have my logic <laughs> lined up and in place. And this falls under, obviously, on winging it is, is if you don't go to that level of preparation, think about how many opportunities do you have to actually have this type of interaction with a buyer or a group of buyers. And if you've invested all this time and effort to get that lined up and then you go in without preparation. It happens all the time. Or, or misusing, when we talk about misusing the a lot of time, it makes me think of that Winston Churchill quote. So he says, look, if you want me to speak for two minutes, it's going to take me three weeks of preparation. If you want me to speak for 30 minutes, it'll take me a week a week to prepare. But if you want me to speak for an hour, I'm ready right now. Because it's really easy to speak for an hour. But what's really hard is to craft a clear, concise, and compelling message that you're communicating in a shorter period of time. And that goes back to what you're saying. You've got to practice. You have to think about your word selection and think about how that lands in the mind of a listener. It's all about making the best use of the time that you've been allotted. And that's uh, that's a little bit more about art and finesse than it is about that kind of like strategic science piece, let alone in trying to add in technology. I mean, it's like a total monster. 
Yeah, yeah, you can obviously get distracted time-wise with with the technology. And you and I talked about this before. Is, is <laughs> yeah, when I first started selling, sort of at the dawn of of the computer age, to some degree, we never got a demonstration done hardly without a, a technical failure. I mean, it became great training, right? As you brought a customer in, they traveled half an hour, an hour to get to your office, and you got the computer set up, and you got your sales engineer there with you to help operate the demonstration. And then, hmm, yeah, you know, reliability just wasn't very good in those days. And you had to learn how to sell around that. Um, even though you practice it ad infinitum the night before, invariably something something would go wrong. Less so these days, which is great. <laughs> but but um, it still happens. So that's why another reason why you want to practice. If there is a technical aspect, you know, you're practicing your application or demonstrating your application or whatever it is, yeah, you got to make sure it works. You got to try it out. I make this reference uh, when I'm working with clients, especially as they're converting more and more now from, you know, kind of like that in-person opportunity to those virtual or remote opportunities. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have, it's it's all over the board for those of us who are in the selling professional. Some people are like the Flintstones and, <laughs> and then other people are like the Jetsons, right? So we have, and then there's everybody in between. And you might be super savvy, like you might have the George Jetson killer presentation where you're incorporating video and slides and polls and all kinds of integrated activities. But on the other end, uh, that person's fighting for bandwidth because their kids are doing homework and their husband is working in the other room and they can't support the signal for all of your fancy stuff. And so now you're losing them because they can't get your message. So yeah. it's it, there's so many new facets where all of this stuff applies, and it's and sometimes it's just not your fault, but you have to still guard against it. And you know what are some of the best practices that we can execute from to still look like the Jetsons, but have it function even if the other end is like the Flintstone. Yeah, well, I, I, right. And so I want to dig on a couple things. Is is you know an interesting thing in the report, which was that basically a an increase in the amount of product training you received increased the number of presentation mistakes you made, which yeah, I'd translate as saying is, yeah, the more you know about your product, the more boring you become. <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, but I don't know if it's specifically that, but um, no, I, le- I love where you're going. Okay, so we're not suggesting that you should have less uh, product knowledge or less industry knowledge. We're just saying where the challenges come in is when there isn't any time spent working on the delivery skills of the person who's executing those messages. And what we kept hearing time and time again is people saying, oh my gosh, Terry, we just, we have not spent a lot of time. Like It's part of our onboarding. They have a module on presentations <laughs> in their onboarding, but in terms of like ongoing or advanced presentation skills training, it's not something that we have offered or, or done much with. And so when we do bring people together and we start to help them to uh, not only look at their existing presentations, but help them to co-create and level up a presentation. So they go, oh, that's that. That sounded great. Oh, I love that languaging. That is a great anecdote. I'm going to pull from Mary and Bob and I'm going to convert that to create an even tighter message. and. What it does is it gives this second wind of joy to what we do as business and sales professionals when you start having a heck of a lot more fun giving your presentations 
Uh, and it's certainly more fun for the listener who's on the other side of it. But that's where I think uh, the analytics of being a killer presenter uh, really come into play because you you can I might say, oh, Andy, I love that word phrasing. That was tight. And I'm going to I'm going to steal that sentence or I'm going to use that story or I'm going to use that anecdote. And when we're collaborating to say what's a tight, effective, sophisticated, fun message, when you start putting it from that perspective, now you are, again, being of better service to your clients or to the listener or to the prospect, because it's fun when you walk out the door and they go, oh, that was fun. That was a really good presentation. Thank you so much for coming out. It, it feels different. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, so the thing with the, the product training, which I think it plays into is, is that, yeah, not that product training is bad or <laughs> industry knowledge is bad or any of that. It's that people say, yeah, I know this, thus I want to share it. And, and perhaps also in the absence of any sort of context about the real specifics of what the buyer needs in that moment, right? So it gets back a little bit to the lack of preparation is, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill this time because I think this is important, not knowing that, yeah, the, the bits and bytes aren't important to the buyer. At this point, they need something more. They need, they need context for the decision they're going to make, the choices they need to make, the options they have. And yeah, the, the product presentation is going to fall down the list of being boring and it's not going to help you convert. And I think where there's a, a little, this little crazy pivot that can make all the difference in the world is some people say, look, I met with them, I did needs analysis, and I customized my next meeting with them based on what they told me that they needed. And then I ended up finding out that they bought something from my competitor uh, because, of, because they thought that they offered them something different. We do that too. They just never told me that they needed that. And it kind of goes back to, there's a part of our messaging that we have to say, look, Based on what you shared with me, this is what we can do. And just as a you know, as a higher level conversation, there's a lot of other things that we can do too that I would be happy to do a deeper dive with you on. But sometimes people end up saying, oh my gosh, you ended up providing me with everything I never knew I always needed. You know, our job as a presenter is not to just regurgitate the content, but rather to help them to understand and explore what all the options are without being boring so that you are being consultative and you are being helpful. And so, but how do you do that? There's just so much content and there are so many products and services and, and industry information. And, and so that piece, which I'm going to put under this beautiful umbrella of self-editing, like self-editing is one of the big pieces that you have to accomplish in that preparation process. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing, though, too, is, is you, you bring it up later is one of the three newer mistakes as part of the, not newer, but three additional mistakes you've added to the list of nine, uh, being failure to connect. And, and I think this is one, for me, that belongs at the top of the list, right? Is, at least in my perspective, is, yeah, not paying enough attention, whether this is a one-on-one -on -one meeting you're having with someone or one-to-many, one is it's that connection and having that. It's the point you made before is, is hey, they bought, they bought something else and didn't tell me. They didn't give me the chance to, to say what we did. Well, yeah, if it had that connection, you probably would have been given that opportunity, right? If you were in with the customer, you had that relationship built, they wouldn't have made the move without telling you and giving you the chance to, to present. Yeah. And it also does that can dictate the flow of the presentation. I, I, tell a story of when I was uh, selling these 
complex communication systems, and I was going to meet with the governing board of this huge company in Scandinavia. And it was for final presentation. And we go in to the meeting, me and another teammate that was with me, uh, my sales engineer, we, we come out of the meeting, he looks at me and says, you didn't open your laptop the entire time we were there. And I said, well, yeah, we just, we asked one question. And from the first question we asked to sort of just establish the connection, the hour went by just answering questions, in which we covered all the information we would have in the presentation, but in a much more informal, informative fashion and persuasive fashion. And that's fine. But it only happened because we had that connection. Yeah. And I, you know, because of your experience, you have the ability to pivot and do that. And you know, but some people have a tendency to do that, and then they end up data dumping, and then you're like, "Oh, good <laughs> lord!" <laughs> right? So, well, that, that's not much of a conversation, right? Right, and then so back to your point on creating connection. So we wanted to do a deeper dive on what people meant by that because that seems like a duh. Like, please, you know, uh, of course you have to make a connection. Right. So what they were specifically referring to is there could be, let's just say, um, salesperson A. Salesperson A sits, walks into a meeting and they sit down across from an individual or let's say they're on a video call and they can notice that uh, that you, Andy, are in your bookshelf behind you have eight books written by Ayn Rand and you're like, oh my gosh, you're an Ayn Rand fan and uh, I love all of her work as well. So that kind of, you know, tidbit of conversation that you see because you've noticed things around them from the kid's picture on the desk to a poster on the wall. Okay, that might be a an icebreaker, a way to create conversation, but mm-hmm. a diff- there's a big difference between creating conversation and or incorporating nuggets like that into a conversation and truly creating connection. So connection comes from uh When you're listening to someone talk, you think, you know what, they get me or they're in, they've been in similar situations I'm in. There is a magic, kind of like a chemistry, for lack of better words, where somebody just feels. So that that issue on connection is about this kind of X factor element where you go, I just like them. They just get me. I like their syntax, the way that they Um, You know, like some people speak really fast and they'll say, oh, I love that you speak really fast. Or, you know, you have a very mellow kind of style. I really like that. Like the things that create connection are are in the essence of this more about the X factor than they are noticing the little random things when you walk in the door. Oh, I agree. But and and to some of that is a result of of being deliberate, though. I mean, if you're saying, look, I'm going into this, I want to be able to find some sort of common ground that we can use as a point of departure and discussion, that's not just noticing a book that they have on the shelf. That's, that's hey, I need to know more about this person. I may be inquiring about it, asking questions. I'm going to try to establish through their experience, maybe where, as I said, there is this middle ground that, that we've, we've shared that you know, we can then start building on. And we can learn from television people as well. Like right now, for those of us who are at home, if you're watching Jimmy Fallon, uh, on the Tonight Show, and you see that he's in his basement trying to host a television show from his home, but his kids are playing in the background, and they're like, and he's like, "I'm trying to run a show," and they're, like, you relate to him, and you say, "Oh my gosh, I'm he's just like me." Like that's what there's an there is this thing, even though it's detached, that people felt connection and 
And so those little nuggets make a significant impact. They do. They do. Well, Terry, unfortunately, we've run out of time, but uh, it's been fascinating. <laughs> so, so tell folks how they can connect with you and learn more about what you do. Oh, perfect. Well, um, if you would like to receive a copy of this report, we actually would be honored to share it with you at no cost at all. You can go to my website at shodinecommunications.com. And my last name is Swedish. It's pronounced Shodin. And the spelling is S-J as in John, O-D as in David, I-N as in Nancy. So terryshodin.com or shodinecommunications.com will get you there. And from the homepage, you can just click on a button that says, you know, uh, give me, uh, I'd love to see the state of sales presentations, research study results. And that also does include all of the methodology. So you can see all the methodology behind the research project. And if you have any questions or if I can be of service in any way, please don't hesitate to call. Great. Well, Terry, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Your show's great. I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Terry Shodine, for sharing her research insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you could also leave us a rating or review and let us know how we're doing, we'd really appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thanks for your help. And thank you so much again for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.